0: I don't want to die. Julie Monroe flipped the radio communication channel to internal so that only her co-pilot and crew could hear her. That makes two of us. Now clear the channel and suit up. It sounded rather harsh, even to her own ears. But the IT technical crew in the main cabin behind her wasn't trained for intense space conditions or emergencies such as the one that she was now facing. For all intents and purposes, they were cargo at the moment, and she didn't need the distraction when their lives were on the line. Julie's headset came alive. What is your status, Polo One? Houston skipped the positive identification in its haste to confirm the lone warning that was activated on the U.S. space shuttle. Environment control was yellow, indicating a mild loss of pressure in their main cabin. Jules flipped her communication switch back to main. We're showing a single alarm, low pressure in the main cabin. Jules and her co-pilot watched on their internal monitor in the cockpit cabin as their four crew members finished attaching their gloves and locked their helmets into place. Polo One, this is Houston. We're showing you at 5 PSI now and dropping. Can you confirm a hull breach? Jules nodded, unsure if her reaction was being conveyed properly to Houston Control via their video uplink. Roger that, Houston. We have full pressure in the cockpit, and our crew in the main cabin has suited up. We'll look for a visual now. Want me to go? Jose Sanchez, her co-pilot, asked. No, we don't have time to depressurize and then repressurize our cabin. Let one of our crew members do a visual for it, Jules said. Roger that, Commander, Jose said, smiling at her and clicking their communication switch to internal. Hey, Dacos. Can you pop a vapor canister and get us a sit rep back there? The vapor canister would eject a visible misty type vapor that would flow toward any hull breach as it sought to exit the pressurized ship and escape into the vacuum of space. It was one of the first things an astronaut learned to do in training. Roger that, Jose. Let me pop some smoke back here and get back to you. It wouldn't matter. Jose and Jules were watching on the internal monitors and would most likely see the same thing that crew member Dacos would see as it happened. The small particles of rock only a fraction the size of a BB had been traveling the Earth's solar system for billions of years, unmolested, until now. The lead microscopic rock had hit the space shuttle at a relative velocity of nearly 30,000 miles per hour. It had breached the titanium-aluminum wall of the craft as if it wasn't there, puncturing a tiny hole on either side of the ship, managing to miss the crew and all of the ship's vital functions. Several thousand pieces of rock flew by undetected, well offset from their leader, missing the craft. All but four missed. But those four also hit the shuttle craft at an ultra-fast velocity, This time, slamming into several pieces of critical gear and components. Their four billion year journey finally culminated in an impact in space, a few thousand miles from Earth. What the hell, Jules said. The Earth spun around her ship and only the centrifugal force against her body gave her any indication that her space shuttle was out of control. Instead, it felt more like a child had suddenly spun the entire universe around them as if it was a cool toy. She switched her comms back to external. Houston, I'm showing four reds, two yellows, and six greens now. The discussion was only to confirm their status. Houston had every system monitored from Control Central. We've lost telemetry data from life support, but we see that vector, engines, and command are red at this time. Do you concur? Affirmative. Julie said, feeling her stick go dead as she tried to regain a modicum of control over the spinning craft. Do you have status on the yellows? Environment and fuel are both in warning states, Houston responded. Confirm that here too, Houston, Julie said, trying to focus on her primary system indicators and ignore the swirling star field in front of her. The mic clicked off and Jose spoke to her. This looks bad, Jules. Can we at least stop the rolling on one of our axes? Julie looked at him and then nodded. She didn't need to put her helmet on as their cabin pressurization was showing 7.5 PSI, something equivalent to a mid-level altitude on Earth. The main cabin indicator was flashing yellow, indicating an atmosphere leak of some kind. And the digital gauge was already down to 4 PSI and dropping quickly. The internal alarm in the crew cabin was both audible and visual, a flashing red strobe that mandated the crew go to full suit status, attaching helmets and gloves to survive the loss of atmosphere, which they had already done after the first impact. Running Supermax now, Julie said, hitting the command on her console with the associated RPY button, roll, yaw, and pitch. The quantum computer kicked the associated data into its algorithm matrix in order to calculate the precise amount of thrust, needed to counter all three forces in play on their shuttle. The supercomputer displayed two green icons with associated numbers on her main data screen, and one red. That's just great, Max. Crap, Jose said, looking at the main monitor they shared between them. Execute the stabilization vectors now. Hang on a second, Julie said, mentally taking a moment to assess their situation. We need to be careful what we spend our vector allowance on, it appears to be limited. Jose nodded, I think you're right, what hit us? I don't know, Jules said. But Whatever it was, it sounded like BBs being shot at us. What the hell happened to our nitrogen? Jose asked, tapping the digital readout for their store of vectoring propellant. It was a useless gesture, the gauge wasn't mechanical. But human habit was a strong force to overcome.